Lake Effect brings you conversations about what's happening in Milwaukee and the people, places, and organizations that shape our community. This is Lake Effect Spotlight from WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. In Wisconsin's April general election, voters were asked to weigh in on whether or not there should be work requirements to access welfare benefits in the state. For some, the question was confounding, since most welfare programs in Wisconsin already had work requirements. Now, politicians in Wisconsin and in Congress are weighing bills that could drastically change eligibility for welfare programs, including those that give low-wage workers access to food and health care. Philip Rocco is an associate professor of political science at Marquette University who's been following these bills, and he joins Lake Effect's Joy Powers to explore how these new bills could impact Wisconsinites. So I'm going to start with uh, the referendum that we saw on our April 4th ballot, just because uh, I think so many of us encountered this. And it is kind of a prelude to the conversation we're going to have about welfare reform that we're seeing at a national level. The wording of this referendum was so confusing that I, I think a lot of people didn't really know what it was asking. But Wisconsinites did overwhelmingly vote in support of adding what seemed to be uh, new restrictions to accessing welfare. Yeah. And the referendum uh, that Wisconsinites voted on back in early April was worded in a way that obscured a couple important things about how social programs work in the United States. So one, the referendum didn't make a distinction between the different kinds of programs that people who have lower incomes uh, might qualify for. So there are three major ones, right? Temporary assistance to needy families, which used to be referred to as uh, aid to families with dependent children, sometimes referred to as welfare. There's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which used to be referred to as food stamps. And there's the Medicaid program, which is uh, in Wisconsin called Badger Care. And there are three very different programs. But most importantly, two of them, SNAP and TANF, already have work requirements in them. So that's one kind of important thing that the referendum didn't mention. The second thing that it didn't mention is that within the program that essentially would be the only one that new work requirements could be created for because they don't already exist, Medicaid, most of the people who can work, you think about one in eight non-elderly adults in Wisconsin is covered by Badger Care, three in eight people with disabilities, three in 10 children. Of the non-elderly adults, people between the ages of 19 and 64, who are on Badger Care, who can work, uh, 75% of them are working. So this image that these programs, one, don't already have work requirements in them is, is not necessarily true. And two, the idea that these programs don't already apply to people who are in fact working and simply just not making that much money because they're working uh, in low-wage jobs. I mean, that's essentially what these programs do. They they help to subsidize people who are taking very low-wage uh, work. You mentioned a few of the systems that we're talking about here. When we say the term welfare, that can, of course, seem very amorphous. What are the different programs that are being uh, talked about right now and looking that uh, Congress is looking to reform? So right now in the budget package that the House Republicans uh, have put forward and going to vote on um, this week, there are two major changes to those programs. One, and I think the most significant one, is to add a work requirement to Medicaid. So currently, 
Medicaid is a insurance program jointly run by the state and federal governments. The intention going as far back as the 1960s when it was created uh, was that it would essentially be a an insurance health insurance program to support people who need uh, health care and have uh, low income or, or disabilities. So work requirements have never really been contemplated in that program. The Trump administration did allow states initially to experiment with work requirements, but that was struck down by multiple um, federal courts back in 2019. And so what this proposal in the House Republican bill would do was it would require all states to create a new system of essentially paperwork uh, requirements uh, that would apply to tens of millions of, of people who currently are eligible for Medicaid. It doesn't necessarily make a distinction between people with different kinds of health conditions. So there's a list of exemptions that states would have to, to use, but it doesn't necessarily talk about how, how those exemptions are going to be implemented, or even a requirement that states have to automatically uh, implement some of those exemptions. So, so it doesn't necessarily exempt people who are, in the language of the law, medically frail, people with disabilities, people who are on SSI, so older uh, adults. So it's a pretty significant change to the program that would probably result in a lot of people, uh, including people who are working, but just there's a paperwork problem, losing coverage. So that's one big uh, change. The second big change is to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. And right now, there are two sets of work requirements within SNAP. One uh, set of work requirements applies to people up to the age of 59. Another applies to people up to the age of 49. And what this change that the House Republicans are proposing is to apply that second set of work requirements to people up to the age of 56, which would essentially add an additional 6 million people to the coverage of those work requirements, which again could mean that a lot of people who are working but make a mistake with the paperwork, don't file their paperwork in time, would lose uh, coverage under SNAP. So it, it, it seems like we'd be throwing a lot of people off of these benefits potentially. I do have a question as somebody who lives in Wisconsin because I know that we already have work requirements for a lot of our programs. Is this something that goes farther than what we already have here? Yes. So with Medicaid, adding work requirements that would apply to the entire Medicaid population would subject all of the people who are currently on Medicaid to potential disenrollment simply based on uh, not being able to meet the work requirement or, or missing the paperwork deadline uh, or something like that. So that's going from not having a work requirement in place at all to uh, having a pretty severe one uh, imposed by Congress. And with SNAP, what this would do in Wisconsin, we already have two sets of work requirements for SNAP. There's a general work requirement that applies to people up to the age of 59 and a so-called able-bodied adult work requirement that uh, applies to people up to the age of 49. And what this would do is would extend that second work requirement, which is a bit more stringent, to people up to the age of 56. So that would expand on a existing work requirement and sort of add administrative uh, burdens to people who are a little bit older. As someone watching this legislation unfold, I guess I'm not sure what the impetus 
for these bills has been. It doesn't seem like we have a really excessive welfare state in the United States. Of course, when we compare ourselves to other nations, we spend far less creating a social safety net for people on the uh, bottom end of our economic scale. Is there a reason that they're looking at these bills right now? Yeah, so there are a couple potential explanations uh, for why Republicans might be looking at policy changes like this. One of them uh, you might think about is that these pieces of legislation, because they're going to throw people off of their benefits, they're going to have a um, savings effect on the federal budget. The problem with that explanation is the savings effect is not actually that great. It's, you know, compared to other measures that are introduced in the Republican bill, which would reduce federal spending by trillions of dollars. These are sort of in the 100 to 200 billion dollar range. So in terms of actual savings, I mean, this is not that much money. A second explanation is that there are workforce shortages and that by including work requirements in in the legislation, they're going to deal with those workforce shortages. The only problem with that is that when we look at studies of what happens when work requirements are introduced in programs, again, because most people who are eligible for these programs are already working, they're just simply working low income, low wage jobs, these sorts of programs don't really increase Uh, employment participation very much at all. And if people are not employed, you know, many of them are providing unpaid care. So that's something that we know about the people who are not in in formal work, but are eligible uh, for these programs. So the major effect uh, of these programs is not necessarily going to be making tons of federal savings or inducing lots of people uh, to participate in work who, who aren't participating. It's mainly going to be throwing people off of federal benefits. And then the question you have to ask is why uh, would Republicans want to do that? And there's a kind of political explanation, which is that at a general level, and I think you see this in the Wisconsin referendum, at a general level, there's some political support for the concept of work requirements. And And that's been true for a while. There's been some survey research on that. The problem with that is that once you start digging under the hood a little bit, once people learn about what the effects of these programs are, that it's not just requiring people to work, it's also imposing a lot of government red tape on benefits that people are in fact legally eligible for and help to support people who are performing lots of important but sadly low wage jobs around the country support for these kinds of programs craters a bit. And I think if you look back at, say, the 2017 effort to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, sort of once the conversation, you know, began to take shape around exactly what was this legislation going to do and how many people were going to lose benefits, the politics of that were not exactly as fortuitous as I think Republicans initially assumed. So I I think that this is one case in which you can see that the sort of internal divisions within the Republican Party, internal ideological divisions, are kind of driving the policy agenda rather than a kind of appraisal of of what they think people actually uh, want to see. So we're also looking at um, some bills that are circulating in Wisconsin. Uh, We, of course, have a Republican legislature here. We have a uh, Democratic governor. We have a Democratic president. What do you see as 
the future of these kinds of reforms? So I think in the immediate term, I think that these reforms are non-starters. One lesson, at least for Democrats at the national level, from 2011, which was the last big debt ceiling showdown with uh, Republicans under divided government, I think one of the big lessons for Democrats was that there's uh, a sense in which they're being baited to, to make really unpopular cuts to social programs and that they shouldn't take the bait. And it seems like from statements from the, the White House that they're they're not going to. I think what that means is that the legislation that we're seeing here is going to be dead on arrival in the Senate. And that raises a question, you know, if this is sort of the hostage situation where the debt ceiling is uh, Mitch McConnell, when he was Senate Majority Leader, said that the uh, debt ceiling was a hostage worth ransoming. It raises a question about exactly what is the Biden administration going to do if the, there is a debt ceiling breach, but they're not going to accept these sort of draconian cuts to these programs. Are they going to find a unilateral way to get around the debt ceiling? That's one, I think, important political implication. In Wisconsin, I think, given the strength of the governor's veto pen, um, I don't think that these programs necessarily have a lot of political future, at least uh, for now. I think the question for Republicans is whether or not they can parlay this into a kind of a broader campaign in which they're advertising like the illegitimacy of people who are on these programs, because that's ultimately what the language of work requirements and quote unquote welfare itself is, is meant to, to signal to voters um, that the people who are on these programs are somehow getting one over on everybody else. But the reality is Given the structure of the American labor market and the fact that wages are so low for so many jobs that you can be working a full-time job, uh, a really exhausting job, and not be making that much money, the reality is kicking people off of these programs means kicking people uh, off these programs who are engaged in work and, and actually worsening their quality of life and their health. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how the debate emerges or changes as a result of the consequences of these kinds of programs coming to light and whether or not we shift from sort of talking about them in kind of symbolic terms to talking about them in, in the kind of crude material terms and the way that they work in the world. Sure. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us here on Lake Effect, and uh, we will see what the future holds. Thanks for having me. Philip Rocco is an associate professor of political science at Marquette University, and he spoke with Lake Effect's Joy Powers. You can find more interviews like this one by visiting wuwm.com slash lakeeffect. And while you're there, subscribe to the Lake Effect Spotlight podcast.